With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about Barcelona taking down Atletico Madrid through the genius of Lionel Messi, some surprising opening week results in MLS, the big MLS Liga MX showdown in CONCACAF Champions League, whether North America's World Cup 26 bid is in jeopardy, and the U.S.'s decent but not great start to the She Believes Cup. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss here. Brian, how was your weekend? Um, I watched a lot of soccer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I don't know... What do people who have lives do? <laughs> like if you're someone, if you're if you're a person and you and you like to watch soccer or you have to watch soccer or both, as is the case with us, what do you do if you if you like know other people? If you have any kind of life whatsoever, it's not a problem for me. But like for someone like yourself who's married, or or most other people who have friends or family. <laughs> What do they do? How do they? I mean, they drinking from a fire hose. That doesn't even begin to be a decent metaphor for what is happening now. It's it's too much. It's too much soccer. Well, you got it, especially once MLS starts. Especially once MLS starts. If you're wanting to keep an eye on what's going on in Europe, MLS, all those things. I think you have to be pretty strategic. So you ask the question. I'll give you a quick answer. Uh, I record a lot of stuff, and I then have a life with my wife on the weekend. Uh, does that mean that I watch some live games on the weekend? Yes, but if she and I plan something, we plan it, I record the other stuff, and I catch up later. I get up crazy early on Monday mornings. So, for instance, I saw Barcelona Atletico live. I saw U.S. women against France live, or at least half of it live. Saw the rest of it Monday morning. And then... I saw a lot of actually live MLS games on Saturday because my wife was out of town and I was actually signing more than 2000 book autographs on pages that will go into my hardcover book. And that took forever. And so I have seen that. I have seen that stack. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like there's 28 teams coming to MLS in a couple of years. There's 23 now. Just MLS if you want to watch games. Yeah. There's so no, many mean, freaking I, games. I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time lamenting the fact that I don't know any other human beings. And then I realized that if I did, I would not be able to do my job. Um, there's just no, there, it's, it's nonstop. And, and I think about, I mean, I, I, live, I live in Arlington, Virginia, right across the street from, or the river, I'm sorry, from DC. And there's a bar here called Summers that, that's been here forever. And when I first, uh, when I got out of college and I moved to this neighborhood, one of the reasons I moved here was because of Summers, was because Summers was the one place you could go uh, to, to watch games. They had like 15 satellite dishes on the roof. And, you know, a, a buddy of mine and I would, would meet there every Saturday or whatever to watch Barcelona and stuff like that because you couldn't watch it anywhere else. And the food was terrible and the guy who ran it was a jerk. Um, but 
that was where you had to go to watch soccer. And so I and and so I just think about that from from the premium I used to place on watching just one professional soccer game on television each weekend that it dictated where I chose to live um, versus now right I just wanted it, it's too much you know by by midday Saturday I I was completely sated I was stuffed um, I was like the you know the guy in the Monty Python wafer thin mint sketch like I just couldn't I couldn't hold anymore and then there was like another day and a half True, but there were some really interesting games this weekend, so let's dive in. Uh, first, segue away. Yes. Uh, first off, I do before we dive into games want to uh, just you know express condolences to to David Story, the captain of Fiorentina who passed away over the weekend. Uh, we still aren't totally sure what happened here, uh, but thirty one years old, um, just just awful, uh, and they ended up canceling all the games in Italy on. Sunday. Um, in terms of games in Europe, the headliner for the weekend was Barcelona against Atletico. There actually was a chance for Atletico to get within two points of Barcelona yeah, in the league. For, for all the talk about teams running away with titles, uh, that, that was a that was a two game difference going in. Yeah, and uh, I don't think Atletico played terribly in this game, but Barcelona ends up winning one nothing. Tight game. And the decisive factor, once again, the genius of Lionel Messi with, I think he may be the best free kick taker in the world right now. Um, uh, Jan Oblak's a tremendous goalkeeper, Brian, as you know, and his inability to get, and he almost got to that free kick by Messi. Uh, I don't know if you can take a free kick better than Messi did. It made me think about being in Houston and, and watching the one uh, he scored against the U.S. in the semifinal of the Copa America, and 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 getting a press box view of of one of those free kicks, and I almost feel like I think about that all the time. Too much, probably, because I <laughs> I have a lot of problems. But you know, seeing the perfect, the arc and the dip, and seeing it from 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 that angle high up, and and sort of the inevitability of it, um, and the artistry of it. Um, is uh, is is something to behold? Um, yeah, he's he's magical, and I and I think Diego Simeone after the game, I think I saw a quote from him um, saying basically, you know, if he was in an Atletico shirt, we win the match. I mean, yeah. he he was the difference, and 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 this is not a this is a strange Barcelona team. I mean, they're they're undefeated, right? And 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 they are they are they still got some tough games to go, but uh, I think a, a, another game against Madrid as well, but. Um, this is an undefeated Barcelona team on the way to the La Liga title, but I don't know that it's a Barcelona team because they've set such a high standard. I don't know if this is a transcendent Barcelona team. Right. I don't know if this is a Barcelona team that, I mean, Messi is awe-inspiring, and, and I agree with you, Iniesta was wonderful before he came out after about half an hour. Um, but this is not a Barcelona team that leaves us in awe. This is not a Barcelona team that, is changing the way the game is played. This is not a Barcelona team that's kind of redefining the sport and setting a new standard. They're much more pragmatic under Valverde. They're, you know, they're 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 worried about shape and defending as much as just sort of, you know, getting guys forward and scoring beautiful goals uh, like they were when Neymar was there. Um, and certainly not the same team that they were under under Guardiola. Um, and so this is just sort of a pragmatic team. Uh, that that's defending much better. They've given up only half the number of goals they gave up last year at that rate. Um, 
and they and and Messi pulls the strings and does something magical, and they win. And so um, effective, yes, uh, good enough to win, yes, as they were against Atletico, but not transcendent, uh, not immortal. Uh, not something that rises to some of the standards they've set in recent years. This isn't the best Barcelona team we've seen in the past decade, but they could very well be historic, as you mentioned, to potentially go undefeated in La Liga. Um, and, you know, you look at a guy like the the impact that Paulinho has had this season. He didn't play much in this game, but I think that's a pretty good example of how they are more pragmatic. But Valverde, very smart uh, in how he's gotten this team to play. Um and, you know, it's funny that I don't know if Barcelona is necessarily the top favorite to win Champions League, despite being undefeated in the Spanish League. And, uh, you know, it's, they've got some work to do still against Chelsea in this round. So um, I think you're right on that. But I, I, one more point on this messy free kick. If you watch every little frame of the replay, it's incredible because, like, he hits it right over the highest part of the wall. It's not like you know, he had to earn every centimeter of that free kick from the wall to Oblak getting a hand on it. Um, it's it's absolutely incredible. One other thing I would say is, is that it was unfortunate that Iniesta went out pretty early in this game. Andre Gomez comes in, and is he the worst player on a good team in world soccer? <laughs> Is he? Because he, I think he is. He's terrible. We need, we need to start a power ranking of that. That's awesome. Well, Valverde still hasn't figured. I mean, it's it's interesting to 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 watch guys like Iniesta and Coutinho. I mean, they're not playing on the wings, but but they are. They're playing these sort of hybrid. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, they're they're in they're on the outside of the midfield in a four four two. It's an extremely narrow four four two that 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 asks a lot of the outside backs. Um, but, you know, Valverde's still kind of putting some some square pegs in round holes with this team. Um, and, and uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got some new players. And, and he's trying to sort of work things out and figure out who fits where. Um, I like Rakitic. Uh, he, he's a central player as well. Um, you know, you obviously want Busquets in there. So you've, you've got a lot of guys sort of overlapping. Um but yeah, Gomes is is hilariously uh, ineffective, um, and and that's really funny. I'm laughing now. Oh, we should make a list of the top ten <laughs> terrible players on good teams. Um, that would be a, a good photo <laughs> act for SI.com. I think I'd, I'd enjoy that. Um, the other fun nugget for me from this game, actually not necessarily from this game, is that Atletico sells to Dalian in China, Yannick Carrasco, and Nico Gaetan for a lot of money. And their first game, they lose eight nothing in the Chinese league. Oh my god! I just love that. I don't know why. Well, they'll be it's, it's here. They always are, dude. Here, this is another thing. So, so toward the end of the game, I wrote this down. Um, toward the end of the game, Ray Hudson said, <laughs> "I guess talking about the free kick." Ray, Ray Hudson said, "Messi needs help like a shark needs a dentist." <laughs> hell man you're not insulting ray are you no i just don't well i'm 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 a little more sour on ray <laughs> i used to love ray um come on man this is a recent podcast guest i yes he is first ray is the only person in my entire career who has ever accused me well no that's not true actually because jürgen kind of did um but jürgen knew he was full of shit when he was doing it 
Um, accused you of Ray's what? the only person in my career who, who's accused me of inventing something. <laughs> when he was the DC uh, United coach? Yeah, when he was – and I was just starting out and, and you know, Goff would send me to practices or games now and then if he had to be on the copy desk. And, and um, Ray went on a rant one time, shocker, uh, about how um, DC United need to go out and sign another Salvadoran player. Because, you know, they had had there, – there's a large Salvadoran community here in D.C. And Raul Diaz Arce was a hero and was a big part of those championship teams and was beloved. And he sort of fizzled out and left. And, and Ray's like, we need to get that passion back. We need to bring those fans back. We need to get another Salvadoran player. And, and he said this like into my tape recorder. Um, <laughs> And I think I wasn't even the only reporter there. And anyway, he was furious and he called me and accused me of, of, of inventing these quotes. And I was like, Ray, I literally have them on tape. But that's another, that's another issue. Um, and you held it in for a decade so you could rip them in a, in a podcast. No, I thought it just occurred to me just now. I hadn't even thought of it in a decade. But, but no, I, the, the reason I'm a little down on Ray lately with the, on, <laughs> as a commentator is because I feel like He's I, I feel like the blood curdling guttural shriek has become more of a go to for him than it was in the past. It's like during the buildup as a player looks like he's going to have a look at goal. There is a glass shattering like scream that comes from him. That's I'm sensitive. It just it, it's difficult for me. But I want to I want to know whether a, a shark needs a dentist. <laughs> this, is, this is what I don't get. You having issues with Ray Hudson is like me being the only journalist ever to have a bad experience with uh, David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox, who apparently is like the nicest guy in the world, except the time he dealt with me. What um, happened? Like he was a real jerk. Um, I don't do much baseball, obviously, but I was living in Boston about 10 years ago, got the assignment to write a David Ortiz story for Sports Illustrated magazine. And like the guy like didn't show up for one interview we had scheduled. And then the next day I, I stand outside, just outside his uh, locker in the clubhouse, very cramped clubhouse at Fenway Park. And I, I don't spend time in baseball clubhouses. And there was this taped line around the perimeter of the clubhouse. And he's on his phone for like 20 minutes. And the only time he got off his phone was to tell me, you can't cross the line. And then he put the phone back up to his ear, and we never ended up doing the story. So David Ortiz is probably the nicest guy in the world to everyone else, but not to me. Well, you 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 broke, uh, yeah, you you shattered clubhouse protocol there. Apparently, uh, no. It's fun. It's fun having. It's fun having uh, really really unpopular opinions. And and then look, I, I still like Ray Hudson. I still think he is a he. The guy is a is a wordsmith nonpareil. Uh, he is a poet. But I just I just. Like like a shark. Does a shark need a dentist? A shark has a ton of teeth. He's all teeth, right? So does he, does that mean he needs a dentist? Probably chances are greater that a, that a shark would need a dentist. Because if a shark needs a dentist, then Messi needs help. And I think he was trying to say the opposite. Oh, I have another unpopular opinion, and then we can move on. Okay. This is a very, very unpopular opinion. And in the past, when I've mentioned it, people tell me, well, I must have never played soccer. And it's actually the opposite. <laughs> It's that I if, – if they kept offside records, I would be like – I would have been a Virginia Youth Soccer Association kind of legend because I was called offside so many times. So I think Gamero's goal should have counted. I think Atletico played very well in the second half and I don't think a 1-1 draw 
um, would have been a, an unfair result in that match. And uh, I, Gamera, I think. Um, uh, Costa, oh Costa was obviously offside. Right, Costa was offside. Right, thank you. I was like Costa. Well, I can't. I can't. I couldn't pull the name out from my 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 oatmeal of a head. But yes, Costa was uh, uh, had had part of his leg offside, and then knocked the ball to Gamero. Gamero finished. Costa should not, that the rule the rule should be. I realize that according to the rule that exists, he was offside. Yes, but the rule should not be that a body part leaves you offside. He should have been onside. The the rule look if if the whole ball has to cross the line for it to be a goal. If you know if if, if it's the whole of the thing that has to be past the thing then the entire offensive player should be past the defender. There should be daylight. Daylight. Yes, I was waiting for you to say that. I actually agree that, that I wish the offside rule was that, but it's not that. It's not right. And so I'm just saying I wish it was that. I, I, okay. I wish I, – because it would be easier to call because it's easier to see daylight between two players than it is to see the flash of an elbow or a knee. And and it makes – why are we making it so much harder to score a goal in a, in a, in a sport where it's already difficult? And it's sort of not consistent with the way the rest of the sport is officiated, where the whole thing has to be across the thing. So, so in my view, if 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 the defender is if any part of the defender is level with the attacker, that attacker should be onside, um, and that goal should have counted. Um, and I realize that everyone now thinks, well, they all they already thought I was an idiot, but they all think I'm more of an idiot now. But you know, I played for thirty years, and and uh, I would have enjoyed having that extra. Uh, that extra yard or so of space uh, to make runs and get in behind. And I think the game would open up a little bit if it was. So that's my unpopular opinion for the week. Um, also, I think all white uniforms suck. That's my other other unpopular opinion for the week. So you're saying, you're saying that Gamera deserved that goal like you deserve a trip to the dentist? A dentist, right. <laughs> Actually, that makes no sense at all. So yeah, no, that, well, that's okay. That, not, we, you know, that fits in with the rest of it. I, it's been a while since I've been to the dentist. Shocker. So, MLS opening weekend, tons of surprises. I think last week I was saying on our video show that Seattle and Toronto, like who says this league is unpredictable? Seattle and Toronto are probably going to face each other in their third straight MLS Cup final this year. Uh, so, guess what happens? Seattle and Toronto go out, home games, they both lose. Seattle loses to LAFC, the new team in the league, 1-0. Toronto loses at home to Columbus, 2-0. Seattle and Toronto each lost just one league game at home last year, the entire season. And now they both have one league loss at home in 2018. What should we take away from this? Well, uh, we may have underestimated Columbus, Maybe. <laughs> Since Maybe. none of us at SI predicted no. Columbus would make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean you gotta pick you gotta pick someone not to make the playoffs, right? I mean you, you have to pick teams not to make the playoffs. Well you don't have to, but when your editor tells you to, you you know, it's just that's not a hill you wanna die on, right? Right. Um and and I just thought you know, I mean I don't know what you what your thinking was, but I was like, you know, okay, Orlando has improved a lot, you know, I think I think uh, Toronto and Atlanta and the two New York teams are going to get in. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I think I picked Chicago to make it. You had, you had to bring someone out. So I figured Kamara's gone. Merrim's gone. They both proved this weekend that they're very good players. Higuain's a year older. Um, the, the, the tension and stress and misery of, 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 you know, what could be a very sort of difficult 
final season in Columbus will eventually take its toll. Right. Okay, I'm moving Columbus out. And then they go to Toronto and deservedly win the game. Um, MLS, man, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I under, I underestimated Greg Berhalter and I shouldn't have. He's a very, very good coach. No, he is. Um, and keep in mind, this is only one game, one week. Like There's 34 games in the season. And who knows? Maybe our predictions will end up being right. Maybe but, they'll finish one and 33. What I take away from it yeah. is, 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 is CCL. And, and I would like to think that despite the fact that Toronto fielded almost its entire starting 11, um, and, and that uh, obviously Brian Schmetzer held Clint Dempsey and Chad Marshall and a couple other guys out. I, I would like to think that CCL, that these teams have made enough of a commitment to this tournament and are distracted enough by this tournament and are looking past games to this tournament. I would like to think that that's the common thread here. Um, because to me, uh, that would signify that slowly and surely the league and its teams are starting to take this competition a bit more seriously. Um, and as a result, it's going to impact their performance in some of their league games early in the season. That's what I hope it is. Well, I also look at like Seattle LAFC and Seattle did have more shots, but the best piece of quality all day was by LAFC. Just a tremendous pass from Carlos Vela to Diego Rossi. You still had work to do and finished extremely well. It's hard not to be excited by this Uruguayan teenager and by what Vela did. Uh, yep. you know, and, and LAFC was a lot better in the first stages of this game when they got their goal than in the rest of the game where they really had to hold on. Uh, but Miller and goal was really good too. Yep, he was very good. And, and I also enjoyed watching, you know, there were ups and downs there, but I enjoyed watching. It'll be, it'll be enjoyable for me to watch Benny Failhaber get used to sort of that deep line playmaker position as well. And and to watch how he builds, he's just so smart. And to me, he's he he he's still able to see and then execute passes that I I, I don't know that any other American player uh, can do at this point. And and um and he's been that guy for a while now. And so I'm I'm looking forward to to watching that entire sort of combination develop with that team. Look, they're, they're going to be worth watching. The top end of that roster is very good. Um, I think I picked them to miss the playoffs, just lacking depth, and and the West is pretty tight. But uh, yeah, I, they'll be fun to watch, and 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 again, Columbus uh, deserves a lot of credit, um, and um, you know, looks like Milton Valenzuela is going to be a star, and uh, you know, Pippa is is ageless, um, and and maybe and maybe I underestimated Giassi's artist too. Maybe just as a pure number nine, um, he's in his element, and um, and he'll he'll do well. If Zardes makes good runs like that and can hit one time finishes all season long, then I think he'll probably do exactly what Greg Burhalter wants from him. And to Burhalter's credit, he has uh, an identity with that team that whoever plays that center forward position tends to get chances for one-time finishes. Yep. Maybe Zardis will set a goals per touch record. <laughs> you don't need that soft touch if you're hammering it in first time. <laughs> but if Seattle and Toronto losing were significant surprises, the biggest surprise to me was Houston 4, Atlanta 0, which is what the score was at halftime in that game in Houston. Atlanta had so much excitement around this team heading into the season with some of the signings they made, and obviously Barca was not available due to injury in this game, but nobody, nobody was thinking 4 nothing Houston. That is correct. I was not thinking that. <laughs> so, I mean, is this just an MLS thing here? Or, like, was it, for me, Atlanta's defending was just abysmal. 
um, you know, all across the back line. Guzan at fault on the, uh, the last goal. Um, and maybe Houston, we'll see, might be a bit more uh, of an initiator this season instead of just a counterattacking team. Well, I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta is a Atlanta is so attack minded that they have Darlington Nagby in there as a sort of a holding midfielder. And he was um, disappointing, by the way. He's he's just not. I mean, you know my feelings on on him. He's just not a uh, you know he's not a player who puts that kind of stamp on a game. Um, and then they have Laurentowitz in as a center back. He's not a center back. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe they just. Maybe they maybe their intentions this year are to win every game five four. In which case, they'll be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but if not, um, yeah, they they need a, they need a bit more steel uh, down the spine of that team. Um, and uh, you got to think a coach of Martino's quality will, and a, and a team with those kind of resources will figure that out. But clearly, uh, clearly there was space to move uh, against them. And Houston is a is a is a quick, uh, incisive team um, that can can launch and finish an attack at speed. And that's the exact kind of team that Atlanta is going to have trouble with. So it was kind of a just a perfect storm. Um, and yeah, it was it was mind boggling. And I agree, Guzan Guzan is a better goalkeeper uh, than what he showed on on um, whatever game that was. Was it Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday. So um, yeah, fascinating result. And and this is you know you, you said at the beginning of this conversation that you know you you picked Toronto and Seattle to to be an MLS Cup, and you know is this becoming a league that's a bit more one of haves and have nots and is it a bit more predictable and maybe over the long haul maybe over the course of a, of a of a nine month season things will shake out as expected but what i still like about mls is that on a given day really kind of any nonsense can happen and 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 so if you're going to commit to watching a game or going to a game or sitting down and 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 paying attention to to two hours of soccer it is still the case in this league that on any literally any given weekend you could get results like this. Things could happen that are unexpected. You know, I mean, DC United up up, up for more than a half against Orlando, um, and 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 pin back. Uh, you know, just kind of remarkable to watch. And and so there's always something that's going to happen that's unexpected. And I don't mean to be a commercial for it. There are obviously problems in MLS, um, but I like the fact that there aren't given results on a given Saturday in a game. I think MLS gets the opening weekend right just about every year in different ways. But I think there's an excitement that surrounds opening weekend. Uh, in the television presentation, in the way the games are laid out, in what we see on the field, uh, that gets me fired up for the rest of the season. I do wish the sort of dog days of summer were a little more exciting. Uh, but as far as opening weekends are concerned, uh, I think MLS does good work. I'm excited having seen these games now uh, for what comes next. What does come next before MLS League games is CONCACAF Champions League. And this is a huge, huge week headlined by MLS champion Toronto against Liga MX champion Tigres Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. And I'm a little bummed that this is just the quarterfinals of CONCACAF Champions League, but I'm very excited that we have the champions of both leagues going up against each other in two games that matter. Are you as excited as I am? I'm excited too. Um, I wish it was happening later in the season. I wish it was happening later in the tournament. The way they seeded this competition is really bizarre, and I and I would hope that Concacaf would revisit it. We every everybody would stop listening if I tried to start explaining how it worked. But essentially, 
essentially it's not seeded by team, it's seeded by slot. So Mexico 3's performance in recent years lifts them to the top of the seeding order, whatever. Um, the, the fourth team from the U.S., this is how they do typically, so this is where they're seeded, regardless of what team it happens to be. Um, and so there should have been – the champions of MLS and the champions of Mexico should not be in the same quartile of the draw. That's just stupid. But here we are, um, and also it would mean that if they did meet, they would meet a month from now instead of now when, when again, Toronto is a few days into its season and, and Tigres is, is six weeks or whatever more. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's exciting and it's, it's historic. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it's the thing that Toronto needs to, you know, they want to be the best team ever. They want to, they want to be up there, uh, on a historic level with the late nineties teams of DC United. May, they, maybe they had the best season ever last year, but to be the best team, to be the best team in MLS history, they've got to win this tournament. They've got to accomplish something outside the borders of their own league. Um, and this is the, I guess this is the best chance for them to do it, even though it's a really tough draw. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And when you see the way Tigres plays, I think they're going to be a handful for Toronto. That's going to be a very cold game in Toronto on Wednesday night. Uh, probably the MLS team with the best chance for advancing, I would think, is Seattle, uh, which takes takes on Chivas de Guadalajara, uh, a team that's struggling uh, in Liga MX right now quite a bit, even though they did get a 1-1 against Club America the other night in the league. Uh, and obviously Seattle resting players, including some of their best players, to be ready for the opener on Wednesday night, which follows Toronto Tigres. And I just pronounced Toronto like a, a Spanish speaker, by the way, so laugh at yeah. me for that. Um, what do you think? Seattle? Yeah, Seattle. I mean, I know. I was going to say, if Toronto gets past Tigres, they're likely going to play Club America, who's undefeated in, in in league play. I mean, I guess I'm still I'm still disappointed that there are logistical hurdles that MLS teams have to overcome uh, to 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 do better in this competition. It would be nice, and I am not saying MLS is the equal of League MX. It is not. Um, but I think it is better than what it has shown in this tournament. And I think it should be closer to winning this tournament than it is or than it has been. And a huge part of that, and, and Taylor Twalman mentioned it last night on the, on the ESPN broadcast, remains the schedule. You simply can't after – oh, I have an, I'm an aside. MLS botched the qualifying. So Colorado, uh, Dallas – um, they should not have been in this tournament. Uh, MLS skipped a year of qualifying because CONCACAF pushed the Champions League back. So it was the teams that qualified in 2016 that were in this tournament rather than 2017. So you have teams that are very that are quite far removed from their successful days uh, coming in. And, and obviously Colorado, an entirely different team uh, than the one that did so well in 2016. And so sort of unfair to them to put them in this tournament and sort of unfair for MLS. Anyway, that's another issue, but MLS should be closer to winning this tournament than it is. And I feel like they, they could have done more leveraging some of their weight, some of their, 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 their wealth, some of their influence, some of their marketing, whatever it is they had, they should have done more to push this thing later in the year. So their teams weren't coming off, you know, two month preseasons, four month off seasons, however long it is. Um, for different teams to playing tournaments against playing competitive games against clubs that are fresh, that are fit, 
that are in season, that are six weeks, two months into competitive play. How can you judge this? How can you evaluate this? It's just not right. And MLS could have done more to get these games later, played later in the season, but they didn't want to mess with the summer and the fall. They thought it would take away from their playoff races. And so here we are again, kneecapping these teams and these games before they even start. And I think it's a shame. Yeah, I, I think MLS should do more to help their teams in CONCACAF Champions League. I'm very much in no excuses mode at this point when it comes to MLS and Champions League. I don't want to hear any more about what MLS teams uh, don't have in terms of preparation, especially if the league could do more to help with the scheduling. I mean, yeah, I, I get no excuses. That, that sounds good, but I, I, I think... If it's not an excuse, then it is a reason. I mean, if, if, you, if you've played one competitive game in the past two and a half months and you're going up against a team that's been playing competitive games every week for six to eight weeks, that's going to show on the field. That's going to make a difference, especially late in games. I mean, how often have we seen an MLS team kind of hold on, hold on, hold on, and then, you know, Hercules Gomez scores three goals for Pachuca in the final eight minutes and it's over, right? We've seen this time and time again that MLS clubs can't hold on late in, in CCL games against good teams. Now, that could be an issue of depth. That could be an issue of roster spend. And obviously, MLS is addressing that with TAM and things like that. But it's also an issue of not, not having had competitive games. And MLS has decided to continue to put their teams in these positions early, early on in the season. And right now, Toronto FC versus Tigres at this point in their seasons is not a fair fight. And that's frustrating. I would like to see it be a fair fight. The other MLS team in action this week in Champions League, New York Red Bulls against Tijuana. That will be on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, moving on, there was a story that Sam Borden at ESPN wrote this past week about the World Cup 26 bid for the North American alliance of the U.S., Canada, and Mexico may be in jeopardy, more so than uh, is thought or was thought. Um, and that caused all sorts of discussion uh, out there and, and concern. Um, but I wanted to bring a couple of things up in terms of this. One, uh, we should not be surprised if the 53 African countries vote for Morocco, um, in part because Morocco is an African country, but also because I think it's pretty natural that a lot of these countries would not want to vote for the U.S. when it has a leader who has called African countries shithole countries. Uh, and I basically pointed that out on Twitter and had a lot of people responding saying, well, FIFA picked Qatar and Russia, so how can you get on them calling, um, uh, you know, having an issue with the U.S.? And I get it. I, first, first things first here, I was in Zurich on December 2nd, 2010, when Qatar and Russia got those World Cups, it was a joke for Qatar in particular. I don't know if it was a total joke for Russia to get the World Cup at that time, but especially Qatar. And FIFA and its corrupt history and all of that is actually the subject of a very good book that I just finished reading an advanced copy of by Ken Bensinger called Red Card about the U.S. Um, investigation of FIFA and the FIFA scandal. It's terrific. It's coming out in June. Uh, all that said, I think there's a, a lack of factual knowledge out there uh, here in U.S. soccer, at least, about how FIFA chooses World Cup hosts at this point, because there's a huge difference between 
the voting process that led to Qatar and Russia getting those World Cups. Those were 24 corrupt men on the FIFA Executive Committee, uh, or nearly 24 corrupt men, uh, giving those World Cups to um, to Qatar and Russia. Sell, selling those World Cups. Yeah, and and the majority of all of those voters, those FIFA Exco members, are either off the Exco or have had some sort of wrongdoing uh, happen to them since they got caught. Um, nowadays, for this vote, this is going to be a global referendum with more than two hundred countries, every nation that's a member of FIFA, voting for who hosts World Cup twenty twenty six. Will some of those voters be corrupt? Sure. But not all of them. And it, it because it is a global referendum, it's a, a much different situation, I think, than uh, the vote that took place back in 2010. So, Brian, you and I are going to be in Russia on June 13th, 2018, when we find out if the U.S. North American bid is going to be able to win that right to host World Cup 2026. Do you think it will at this point? That's crazy. We're going to be in Russia. It's exciting. It is. I just made hotel reservations for four nights in Nizhny Novgorod. Like that's a that's a real place. I think you pronounced it correctly too. I may have Nizhny actually. I think it's Nizhny Nizhny Novgorod or something. Like <laughs> um, no, uh, Argentina, Croatia, and England, Panama. Fantastic. And so and so, I really I really want to sort of see. You know, there's all this talk about. Um, England and Russian hooligans kind of mixing. I want to, I want to, I want to be part of that. I want to get killed. Enjoy covering this. The Sunil Gulati, I, I guess after, I think after 2010, you know, as we were starting to sort of build up toward this 2026 bid, made the point a couple times. Made a, made the point a couple times, and the, and the words he used was, "This is an election, and in elections, people vote for all kinds of reasons, right?" They vote based on facts and data and empirical evidence now and then, but they also often vote for 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 reasons of of habit, for reasons of the heart, um, for reasons of influence. All kinds of things and 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 political and personal motivations go into why people vote. And Sunil, at least publicly, understood this and and and, and talked about this and acknowledged this, and so. When so that goes into you know does Morocco have the infrastructure of, of of North America? Of course not, not even close. I've been to Morocco twice. They 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 absolutely. I I cannot imagine how they would pull this off. Um, but people, lots of times, people who vote for things don't care about things like that, and they care about politics or messaging. Um, and 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 you know, regional pride, regional influence, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Morocco is pitching, I saw some of their bid documents that were released recently. I mean, they're pitching the fact that they're, they're in a better time zone than the U S they're pitching the fact that you don't have to get on a plane for six hours and fly from one stadium to the other. Um, and that's, that's true. You know, that's Morocco is not as large as the U S Mexico and Canada. Um, so they're trying, they're kind of throwing these things out there and they're throwing out there, of course, that we live in a tolerant, safe society. Um, and you know, Trump's not our president, wink, wink. And that's going to influence some voters and, you know, Sunil and his, and his people working on this bid are going to have to anticipate that and do what they can to, to acknowledge it and combat it. 
Yeah, I, I, I look at the situation here, and I think I want to be very clear that if you're voting for who's going to host this World Cup, that there are a lot of reasons to vote for the North American bid. Uh, in part, economic, where Johnny Infantino, the FIFA president, has promised so much more money going out to each FIFA member nation that just from an economic standpoint, FIFA needs to er- make as much money as possible off the one event, the World Cup, that it gets its money from. And that includes ticket sales, that includes TV rights, that includes sponsorships. FIFA is uh, an organization that hasn't gotten a new sponsor from outside of Russia or Qatar or China since the FIFA scandal. They need new American sponsors to come on. They need the money that comes with that. And obviously the 94 World Cup in the U.S. made a ton of money. And so Johnny Infantino, my guess, is pushing for the North American bid to get voted on. And even the countries that have an issue with Trump, I think, want the money to come in. FIFA's lost money the last couple of years. Well, and there may be there may be countries that have an issue with Trump. Um, there also may be countries that have an issue with the U.S. Department of Justice and Loretta Lynch, right? I would think uh, South American countries might, uh, since that's where a lot of the stuff has come from, from that investigation. Central American countries even, too, potentially. Um, but also just because this is going to be the first 48-team World Cup, and from an infrastructure perspective, stadiums, hotels, transportation, etc., North America's in such a better position to make sure that that 48-team World Cup is a success and how it gets pulled off than Morocco is. A 48-team World Cup in Morocco, come on. It's a beautiful country to visit, but yeah, I I can't, I cannot conceive of it having been there. Um, Do you, one thing I've thought about, do you think, you know, including, you know, because of the, because of the U.S.'s political reputation in the world right now being what it was, it seemed like a real masterstroke to include Canada and Mexico, oh, yeah. especially considering how many games there were. But then to sort of have the optics, do the 60-10-10 optics kind of mitigate some of the positive impact that decision might have? If you're running the bid, do you at this point, we're still really far out, right? you at this point say you know what let's throw let's throw five more games you know to 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 Mexico and five more games to Canada so it doesn't look so unequal um so it seems like more of a partnership than maybe something cynical where the US is is bringing these countries in just to make us look a little better and to sort of prevent this present this you know unified bid of no borders that sort of thing i I wonder if the optics on that are actually backfiring a little bit yeah i mean i i I certainly think we could see a situation where the 60 10 10 gets changed uh potentially i know from everything i'm hearing is that uh the, the north american bid folks when they speak to voters are really pushing that it's not just a u.s bid and i get why i mean like you said this is an election but uh a lot's going to happen in the next couple of months uh, ahead of this vote. And, and I do think this is, is hardly a, an inevitability that the North American bid is going to get it. Moving on here, because we need to finish up here. We've been on for a while. Wanted to get into the She Believes Cup. U.S. women won nothing over Germany in Game 1. Megan Rapinoe scores for the U.S., but 1-1 against France in Game 2. Uh, not altogether impressive performance from the U.S. against a French team that uh, lost 4-1 to against England 
in its first game. That sets up USA-England 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. Unfortunately, going to have some conflict with Toronto Tigres. Uh, but we can all watch two games at once, I figure. And, you know, an interesting situation here where I think Jill Ellis is going to be under some heat if the U.S. doesn't win this tournament. England, which is also on four points, like the U.S., coached by Phil Neville, has a real chance to make a statement here in Phil Neville's first tournament in charge. His his hiring, was right? I mean, his hiring, there aren't many unanimous opinions in the world about anything, but it seemed like everyone had something critical to say about his appointment. Um, so if he were to win this tournament on U.S. soil against, you know, three three of the game's powers, uh, that, that uh, he, I, I guess he would have a little bit of uh, the right to be a bit smug. <laughs> so I'm excited to see this game because I want to see if the U.S. really goes out to try and win it uh, with its best players or what Jill Ellis feels are the best players this team has right now instead of just experimenting. I get the idea of experimenting. Uh, I do think we're, if we haven't already reached the end of that experimentation phase, we're very close to it. Uh, and so the, there will be some pressure on this U.S. team. Um, you know, they relied on Alyssa Nair to make some pretty big saves in the second half against France to to keep it to 1-1. Uh, and obviously there's some players missing for the U.S. in this tournament, uh, like a Becky Sauerbrunn uh, due to injury. Um, you know, even players like Julie Ertz have had some issues uh, she's not at full fitness clearly right now. Carly Lloyd isn't totally Carly Lloyd right now. Um, and, you know, I, I just thought I would see more from this U.S. team in the second half against France, and uh, and that didn't happen. So uh, I think we'll get a good measuring stick against England and see if we should be really, really concerned about the U.S. women or just sort of concerned. Did you see uh... – did you see Michelle Akers' response to our podcast last week? No. What'd you say? Uh, here, I called it up. Um, I guess it was on Instagram mm-hmm. that I, I don't use, but Anthony DeChico retweeted it, captured it and retweeted it. She said, I so disagree with Grant Wall and this article. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what sums up like our, you know, like it was our conversation and both of our names are on it, and it's like, yeah. But anyway, seriously, three times they haven't won this tourney, and according to Grant and others, it's, quote, okay if they don't win it again. WTH? The the USWNT are supposed to be world champs. By the way, there's a lot of caps lock in this. Oh, wow. So she's very passionate. And defending that World Cup champ status. The, the women's national team standard is, all caps, the best in the world. If their performance is to not to that standard, changes need to be made. Not understanding why this is okay to the powers that be or to the media. I am wanting better and our potential being best in the world. Here, here's my only question about this. And I love Michelle Akers, who I've covered mm-hmm. for decades uh, and visited her horse farm outside Atlanta a few years ago. Um, I don't think that's what I said, right? We talked about Jill Ellis being under a lot of scrutiny and maybe needing to be under more scrutiny than she has been for how this team has been playing over the last couple years. Um, But I don't think I said it was okay if they don't win this tournament. I think I I may have been more on that side. Oh, really? So she's going after Brian Strauss, not Grant Wall. she's going after me, but since I (laughs) don't exist, he's blaming you. I was the one who called it friendlies. I was the one who said... (laughs) You know, that, that Jill Ellis is hired to win World Cups and not to win She Believes Cups. And then I said of Jill Ellis, I said, I, I think I said something along the lines of 
Jill Ellis won the <laughs> Women's World Cup. She's one of three American coaches to do that. And that has earned her the leeway and right and leverage to, to shape the team that she thinks can repeat and win it again in 2019. That is all caps best in the world status. And so if she feels that she needs a year or two to kind of play in the sandbox and move things around and, and handle what is a pretty significant change in generations and, and aging of some other key players like Carly Lloyd in order to put a team on the field in France in 2019 that can win the Women's World Cup, she should have that latitude. So that was kind of my point. Um, so I may have been more on that side than you. My takeaway from what Michelle said was that that's exactly how a player should feel, right? right. Um, we're talking about the way coaches build their teams for the long term and prepare and, and shape a program for a specific point in time, this being the summer of 2019. The players shouldn't worry about that. Of course, when a player is in training or in a game, they should be giving 100%. They should be out in to prove that they're the best in all caps. That's their job. They should have exactly the attitude that Michelle displays in this post, which is what kind of made her amazing, right? I mean, she was she was unstoppable. She was a force of nature. And so that motivation is something that players should have. They should be self-motivated. They should be ambitious. But the co- it's you know it's the coach's job to 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 then take all of those different motivated pieces and put them together and build a team and a program that can win. So I don't think I don't think Michelle's comments here are are contrary or, or antithetical to to what we were saying about Jill Ellis and what her role uh, building the team should be. But just to be clear, she was probably firing at you and not at me. Yeah, but she doesn't know that. So I'm like, <laughs> Are voices that similar? She's mad at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm happy to absorb the heat, man. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that there are real questions about the way this U.S. team has been playing. And, and if they don't win this tournament, and there's a chance that they won't, uh, then I think there should be some serious questions about Jill Ellis. Uh, this, after all, is the same timing in which Tom Sermani was fired exactly four years ago. And um, so we'll see. I just don't think Carlos Cordero is going to pull that trigger as a, no, as a new president. It's certainly fair to ask. Again, I, I, I still believe that Jill Ellis's goal is the Women's World Cup and not the She Believes Cup. But in that context... Is it fair to assess their trajectory? Is it fair to look at the way she's preparing this team and wonder whether or not they will be ready a year plus from now? Yes, those are absolutely fair questions to ask. We got to get Michelle Akers on the podcast soon. I love her. Um, All right. We're going to wrap it up because we've been going for nearly an hour. Brian Strauss, thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you next week. Later. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Lechigaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? 
Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.